Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. And this week, from Beijing. This episode is about global supply chains, jobs, Iran, President Trump, and China. And it's about a company called ZTE. Many people first became aware of this Chinese telecommunications company on May 13th, when Donald Trump tweeted the following. President Xi of China and I are working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE a way to get back into business fast. So I went to China to investigate. And while I was there, I spoke to Yuan Yang, the Beijing economics and technology correspondent of the Financial Times. Okay, so Chad, Mr. Journalist Chad, what did you ask her first? Well, to start, what is ZTE? ZTE is China's biggest telecoms company that's publicly listed. It has around 75,000 employees, uh, many of which are in, uh, in the southern hub of Shenzhen, the, city near, uh, the port city. And it is a kind of crown jewel for China for what it's been able to develop technologically over the last 30 years. So 75,000 workers is roughly equivalent to the number of Google employees. So the next question is, what exactly ZTE does and why does it matter? ZTE is probably best known in China for its smartphone business and in uh, in the rest of the world for its telecoms hardware. So equipping anyone from a mobile operator to an internet service provider with the hardware, the routers uh, that they need to operate. And in the US, because uh, Huawei, which is ZTE's biggest kind of competitor in China, because Huawei is so shut out of the US, I think ZTE is much more present there, not only in the US and China, in developing countries, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, both Huawei and ZTE have had huge gains because they can offer really low-cost alternatives to the European or American telecoms operators there. And I think they've had huge kind of market gains in the last 10 years. So ZTE had been doing pretty well in a number of -of out-of-the-way places around the world. But in one of those places, well, that's where the problem started. So it's not uncommon for America to impose economic sanctions on countries it doesn't like. Over the past decade, its naughty list has included North Korea, Venezuela, Iran. These can be really, really broad sanctions, essentially restrictions from American companies engaging with companies or people in that other country. They can even extend to companies in third countries who want to sell American stuff or American technology to that country that America wants to hit. So as I, as I mentioned, ZTE, uh, Huawei, China's leading telecoms operators, they've had huge uh, gains in, in emerging markets um, in the last 10 years in sub-Saharan Africa in the Middle East. And in particular, um, in, uh, in the Middle East, ZTE has had and clients in, in Iran. Now, this, this gets a bit messy because at the time that ZTE was supplying into Iran, I think it would argue that what it was doing was legal there. But because of the U.S.'s sanctions on specific kinds of products into Iran that that included U.S. components, the U.S. found uh, that ZTE was guilty of violating its sanctions against countries like Iran. So after that happened, um, there was a long investigation into ZTE. Last year, ZTE agreed to pay a fine, I think about $1.2 billion, which is a huge, a huge sum, and then also agreed that it would commit to disciplining the employees who are involved in broaching those sanctions, um, and then it would make amends. 
So the U.S. Commerce Department finds ZTE and makes it promise to punish the workers involved. And as part of the deal, ZTE effectively agrees to be put on probation for seven years. Now, what happened uh, recently, about, about a month ago, is that the U.S. found that ZTE had not only not managed to make the commitments that it said it would do in terms of disciplining those employees, but that some employees had even been granted bonuses. So, in fact, ZTE was not just turning a blind eye, it was actually rewarding the people responsible for this um, alleged breach of sanctions. And that, in addition to this, that, that the U.S. found that ZTE had lied in previous disciplinary hearings. And so... When ZTE made these promises to the Commerce Department in that plea deal, there's a lot of follow-up paperwork and monitoring that has to go into making sure that they're complying with the terms of the probation. And what set this off is ZTE turned over some paperwork to the Commerce Department that indicated they actually hadn't done the things that they had promised to do. Now, ZTE may claim this wasn't deliberate, you know, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing, human resources paid out some bonuses, but only because the legal compliance department hadn't told them not to in time. They may claim this isn't fraud, it's just internal corporate miscommunication, but clearly they failed to treat the terms of this plea deal with the Commerce Department seriously, and that did not go well for them. So the most recent decision from the Department of Commerce was last month to rule that U.S. companies should not do any business with ZT. That means both import, export, any partnership, um, including any intellectual property research or transfer, which rules out a huge chunk of what ZT's business had been before. And as a result of that, ZT last week announced that it would cease to operate its major uh, operations. But it's not just their sales to the United States that are no, that are stopping. That's this. right. So what what is it? It's any any U.S. company from that had done business previously with ZT was as of last month told to stop. So that's a huge problem for ZT because its supply chain is very intricately you know interwoven with its U.S. suppliers, not just in terms of components but also in terms of patents, in terms of chip chip design and so on, which the U.S. has um, at least you know in in recent years been dominating the world in. At the moment, or when these sanctions were applied, ZTE's business model relies on a lot of American inputs. So one of those is software, technology. It uses on their phones the Android operating software. So that's the open source software that comes from Google, an American company. Now, Google doesn't sell this directly to ZTE. It's free and open source. Google can't even really stop ZTE from using it. But Google does earn advertising revenue from consumers who look at Google products. So there's this question is, is Google allowed to benefit from the software that is being used on ZTE smartphones? There are other companies like Corning. They make the Gorilla Glass, which is the touchscreen used in ZTE smartphones. Now that glass is actually made in factories in Taiwan, Japan and South Korea, even though the intellectual property is American. There's a question of whether that still counts as an American product which ZTE isn't allowed to buy. American companies like Intel and Qualcomm, they're the ones who sell chips to ZTE to use in their phones. The ban would seem to prevent those companies from selling anything to ZTE. There are also a lot of smaller American companies who rely on selling stuff to ZTE. Jay Green of the Wall Street Journal had a really interesting article shortly after the story broke that none of these companies in tech hubs and near Silicon Valley, they were seeing their stock valuations go down because it was so reliant on sales to ZTE. The bigger point here is that ZTE is just very reliant on American inputs. And so the ban is a huge, huge problem for its business model, which is why ZTE basically stopped operating as a result. 
So I asked Yuan what the reaction in the Chinese media to all of this had been. I think the official media in China, by which I mean government-sponsored media like the People's Daily, uh, Xinhua, these are government mouthpieces, obviously take a very nationalistic tone, as you might expect. But I think there has also been perhaps less coverage than I might expect, potentially because it's in some ways a big loss. It's humiliating for a national champion to be felled by an act outside of your country. It's the typical symbol of what the Chinese government hates, because it can be read as Despite China's best technological progress in building this giant company, it can still be felled by a U.S. decision, which for, for Chinese nationalists would be seen as a violation of China's sovereignty and its ability to run its own economy. This was a big problem for the Chinese government. ZTE shutting down, that would mean tens of thousands of people in China losing their jobs. This company has more employees than General Motors and Ford. And as listeners should also know, this is not the only thing going on right now in terms of the U.S.-China trade relationship. So loyal Trade Talks listeners should be aware that back in April, the Trump administration threatened to impose tariffs on $50 billion worth of imports. China responded, saying that it would be happy to retaliate. Now, the Chinese and American governments are in the middle of negotiating some kind of deal to avoid a massive trade war. The Trump administration wants China to change its economic policies and reduce its trade surplus with America. The Chinese just don't want a tariff trade war. From the Chinese side, the timing does seem really suspicious because this case had a long kind of historical lead up. ZTE said this, US Department of Commerce said this, and the back and forth has gone on for several years. And to the Chinese side, the Iran sanctions although they are the reason for the ruling, are not something that China sees as you know, the main foreign policy objective of, of the US. So I think it's reasonable for somebody listening to this news develop from China to ask, you know, why now? Why not several months ago? But why has ZTE been thrown into the midst of all, all this today? Is it so that the US can have a bigger bargaining chip than it previously had? And I think that's a genuine concern. I think that would be a, you know, a genuine reason. So I think the assumption here is there must be some politics behind the Department of Commerce. In any case, I, you know, regardless of whether or not the Department of Commerce is truly separate from influence from President Trump and from the White House or not, in China, the equivalent ministries will be subject to huge influence from Xi Jinping, the president. So that's that. I think that symmetry is kind of projected by Chinese people onto the U.S. case as well. So whether or not the timing was an accident, it seems clear that ZTE has entered into the negotiations between the Chinese and the Americans. According to some leaked demands from a few weeks ago, it seems like the Chinese really, really want this ZTE problem to go away. And then on May 13th, we get that tweet. President Xi of China and I are working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE a way to get back into business fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. To clarify, here's the president on Twitter apparently trying to reverse the Commerce Department's earlier supposedly independent legal decision to punish ZTE for violating the law and violating the terms of an earlier plea agreement that his Commerce Department had made. Many people found this tweet to be surprising. Here's Yuan. It suggests two things. One, it's surprising to see, I think, this perhaps a schism in the US between this Department of Commerce decision and what Trump, the president, has decided. And on the second uh, level in which this is interesting is that uh, there are currently talks between the ministries uh, of trade and commerce on in the US and China on both sides right now. But 
I think Trump's tweet also revealed that there's a parallel conversation going on at the level of President Xi Jinping and Trump, which makes the situation very complicated in thinking about who actually uh, has the ball in their court, who can make the next decision. If I were Liu He, which, who is the Chinese negotiator um, who is visiting DC, or if I were any of the you know, US negotiators who came to China, I would be thinking, you know, what is my role in this? What can I say? And if I make this decision or if I give this offer, will Trump just tweet something in the morning that negates what I'm saying? So it's, you know, it's not only confusing for on-watchers on like us, as to what the next step would be. I imagine it's very confusing for those in the trade delegations themselves. There's an obvious question of why the president may have decided to reverse this ban. Now, economically, because of supply chains, the ban does hurt the Americans too. So it could be that because the ban threatened American jobs, that's why he did it. ZTE simply can't make things if it's banned from buying those American components or if it's banned from licensing American technology. And that's a problem for the American people that make those components or who earn the fees from licensing their intellectual property. And it also stops U.S. exports, and that hurts President Trump's bilateral trade deficit obsession. There's another possibility, which is that the American ban could have encouraged the types of policies that American negotiators are currently desperately trying to get the Chinese government to stop. The Trump administration has released several reports saying that it really does not like the Made in China 2025 policy, which is all about creating Chinese producers of high-tech products. So after China sees that ZTE, its biggest public telecoms company, can suddenly fall at the bequest of the US, I think that's a sign for China to redouble its efforts on Made in China 2025 and redouble its attempts to become more and more um, a tech superpower that does not need to rely on supply chains in the US or in Taiwan or elsewhere in the world. So perhaps President Trump was trying to avoid this consequence of the ban, that this might make China even more committed to its Made in China 2025 industrial policy to build up its own semiconductor and component suppliers. Even if this is President Trump's intention, and it may well not be, the ban and his earlier threat of tariffs, well, I think that means the damage there has already been done. So instead of coming to the negotiation table feeling stronger, more in control, I think China now feels more defensive. And the tariff um, threats have, if anything, increased that level of defensiveness. I see President Xi's regime as fundamentally defensive and in some ways paranoid. The way that the Chinese government thinks about control of the internet, control of data transfer, and control of its te technology sector is to say, if we are going to be able to stand on our own feet and not be threatened by powers like the US, then we have got to be the best at what we do. I think the next step, if you're the minister in China and you're in control of, say, industry and information technology, would be to say, well, who are these American suppliers uh, that ZTE was dependent on in the US and how can we replicate them in China? Now, of course, it's going to be very difficult to gain the advantage, especially in chip design that the US has ga gathered over the last few decades. But that is what China wants to do in the long run. And that's what it's been funding um, heavily in terms of its own national champions, as it calls them, which are meant to be able to overtake US technologies at any point. There's a really good analogy that one tech lawyer mentioned to me in China, which is, you know, if you think of a line and a race, if you like, and the position that China is versus the position that its closest American competitor is, the closer the two are together and the less latency the US competitor has in China for being protected or being welcome. Once China outstrips the US in a certain area, it's not going to even 
give the same level of market access to those American companies that they had before. And then if China is really far behind the US, then of course it's going to be very welcoming of any partnerships between the two sides. But I think that is exactly how China thinks about its industrial policy. So even if the president is concerned about the impact of his threats on the acceleration of China's industrial policy, he doesn't seem too worried. Soon after his ZTE tweet, he came out with a second one. China and the United States are working well together on trade, but past negotiations have been so one-sided in favour of China for so many years that it is hard for them to make a deal that benefits both countries. But be cool, it will all work out. On Trade Talks, we are always cool. All right, I think that's all for Trade Talks. Thanks to Samaya's husband for being the voice of Donald Trump this week. And a huge thanks to Yuan Yang of the Financial Times for meeting with Chad during his trip to Beijing. As usual, tell all your friends, everyone you know who works in a supply chain. Tell your smartphones, your conductors, your Gorilla Glass, your source operating systems, your routers and switches, and everything going into those telecom devices. Tell them all about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to supply chains, the Trump administration stopping trade in one direction just wasn't enough.